welcome to Ace Comicals episode 118. So, here we are again. Uh, it is myself, Greg, and Leon. Hello, hello. And, uh, yeah, so following on from last week's episode, because uh, we were very excited about Batman 89, I think you actually got round to reading it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite fun because in the same thing that happened to you where I read it and, and then I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to rewatch the movies. I did. But, um, like, on the comic itself, it it is interesting because it, it's, you can feel the connections with it having been written by the same person who wrote the screenplay for the film. But there is a clear difference. And I think part of that is that Sam Hamm and his collaborators are focusing on a type of detail or like nitty gritty that you don't really get with a film. So already this book delves into a longer narrative to do with like the impact of Batman's actions and like social economic issues that you just wouldn't really get in in the film. So I was quite I found I found that to be quite uh, an, an interesting uh, path for it to take, but it's funny when comparing because it it is it's very much like it has the feel of like the eighty nine Batman world, but it doesn't have the sort of gothic stylings and like Art Decoy building feels of like the Batman eighty nine Gotham film, which is like everyone connects with like being a Burton aesthetic and it's funny how you get it because it it is different in that sense and it it definitely feels like a fork where that first movie ended and then the fork was the movie going to Batman Returns and then the other fork is this book yeah because Batman Returns was like full-on Nightmare Before Christmas Mm. and through this book I get more of Batman 89 as in, like, then Batman Returns. Even though Batman, even though Batman Returns is the same universe, and set after Batman Returns, I get more. Um, I, I think, I think, like, Burton isn't hasn't gone as ham with. <laughs> he yeah. didn't go as ham with the first one as he did with Batman Returns. He didn't go full Nightmare Before Christmas. So we kind of get like this little like. Um, it's it's there and it's there in the comic as well. And the comic is kind of like, like you say, like the fork in the road would be like this would be, this was the sequel that that never happened, and the, this was the fork in the road, and we got Batman Returns instead. Yeah, and this has got six issues, right? To tell its to tell its story. Do you think that? Well, actually, no. You know that six issues is more than two hours, two and a half hours, right? Six issues. You can cover more with six issues of comic than you can cover two and a half hours of film. And do you, do you think that's that's like the extra space that they're using to kind of like dig in a little bit more and get into the nitty gritty of what's going on? Yeah, I guess it's the difference you have like with these yeah. days with the prestige TV era, where a lot of Hollywood talent, quote unquote have gone to streaming services or places like HBO premium cable to tell these stories, which historically would have been sort of two hour plus R rated movies. 
and now they've moved mostly to TV or streaming, whatever you want to call it, and usually are like six to eight episodes long, hour-long episodes where they get to spend a bit more time and uh, deal with a lot more character stuff than you'd normally get in, in a movie. So I guess it could be like a feel of that, like the prestige TV version of Batman 89. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, because- uh, one other divergence, like major divergence, which is also connected to the aesthetic as well, is that the 89 movie has a campiness to it and a sort of earnest cheese to it that is missing from here. And, I mean, this is a comic, and this is a comic like written now, whereas, like, that was a, a movie that was written and directed then. But, like, it's weird because this is where I'm talking... This is where I feel the fork a lot as well, because, like, that movie has a lot of, like, silliness in it, but it's fun silliness. And, like, that silliness is kind of gone from this. Instead, this is a bit more focused on its on its crime story and its characters. So it is weird. It's almost as if a Batman sequel straight after 89 or so was directed by someone else, but with yeah. like the same writer. And the director decided to take a different tone with the story. Mm. I mean, it does, it, it does have the... I think it has the silliness and the campiness still in places. Like... The fact that it's Halloween for starters, um, the fact that you've got you've, all those people in Halloween costumes at the beginning, um, interviewed for TV like about being dressed as the Joker or Batman, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. I, I think it 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 has a little bit of that about it, but I can see I can see where you're coming from and what you mean by it. it's kind of like. But do you not do you not think that's just because it is a comic and because maybe the film was trying to be a comic and that's what happens when when a film tries to be a comic it gets a little bit weird and campy because there's there's certain things that come across better on a page full of panels than they do from behind a camera. Yeah, definitely. Though I would, yeah. I I would say that I don't think the only difference is is the medium. I definitely think there is a tone switch more than the lack of the gothic aesthetic from the movie. But that's not to like a detriment or anything. Like um, I- I'm enjoying that the book is taking this deeper delve into stuff, and is dealing with stuff that that the films don't really deal with. Obviously, loads of other Batman comics do, but like the collateral damage um, associated with Batman, and I think that's a really. I think so. I think as an angle, it has a lot of potential to to yeah. say something um like meaningful about how how that works and it it could not work and then end up with this weird uncanny valley where it's like because part part of the superhero game is like you got to sort of wave off the collateral damage thing because it's like um otherwise it would just break uh, the world for you because it's like yeah every time like people are probably dying in, in the crosshairs to do with this or whatever but like um i think that there's a lot of potential to do well by a story like that so i think it's yeah. i think it's a, a cool um way to go and i just love all the things like the the old school um batmobile and um mm. 
the Billy D. Williams looking dent, like all of that stuff is is quite cool. So um, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to see where it goes. I just I just pray and hope that somebody doesn't whip out a cell phone or something <laughs> in one of the panels on this comic because that would completely pull me out of it. <laughs> I mean, everyone's sort of dressed in a, an 80s way, late 80s yeah. way. So I think they're going to avoid that. And the only person who's got high tech stuff is Batman himself. I want them to keep it that way. I want them to keep it to like the tech of the time kind of thing. Like like how, how it would how it was in the movie where it was like what was high tech for Batman is what we're all walking around with now yeah. kind of thing. But I mean, people have got CRTs and stuff still. Like Batman, who's a billionaire, he's yeah. got a CRT. So yeah, uh, I, I think they're going to remain authentic with that for you. <laughs> Batman, Batman with his curved Samsung flat screen. <laughs> Everyone else with like a Panasonic CRT. <laughs> But yeah, like uh, post reading the book, in the same, I remember you had the itch to rewatch the movies, and I I hadn't yeah. rewatched them in a while. So I, yeah, I watched about a week ago. I watched uh, Batman eighty nine, and then um, yesterday I watched Batman Returns again. It's been a while, and um, yeah, like they're still really fun movies, and they are such a good snapshot of like the time. And what Burton and his collaborators were, were trying to do at the time, and in a way, it's kind of wild because, um, in terms of like society and how we do a lot of this art, I think in recent years, while we've been pushing the PG thirteen twelve A rating as far as possible, so it's just like everything but blood in terms of violence. Um, yeah, the first two, like the Burton Batman movies, are like super, like nonchalantly intense. Yeah, in a, in a way that movies aren't really like PG thirteen comic movies aren't really now. Like there, there's a lot of threat there. Obviously, there's the like the big grand and how I was saying before, like sort of the the cheese and stuff like that. But like. Your violence might vary uh, if, like, um, how much you can stomach that stuff, especially if you didn't grow up with it, like us. But I think that stuff really works well, and I like how it, like, the Prince music and all that stuff, I like how it it places it just in a a time. And I, I love how, like, Batman Returns is just this operatic, um, villain think piece where it's mostly about uh society crumbling and, and how it have an effect like in capitalism just screwing over people than it yeah, is like a cape movie bullock stealing falafels joking yeah. <laughs> but like i'm yeah i love that i love that like that particular scene always gets me because i can just taste how sad those falafels are in the pouring rain <laughs> He's like eating it and he's chucking it down. It's like, Bullock, man, come on. <laughs> I mean, I know you've got no self-respect, but come on. <laughs> it's just like, oh. But then like um, the, uh, I, I was just, while you were talking just then, I was just like, I kind of like shut my eyes a little bit and I was just like playing the Prince music video on the back of my eyelids. <laughs> like where he's like half Batman, half Joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dressed up. Classic. Uh, yeah, love it. Um, 
and yeah, it, it does it does hold up and it does have this it's like I think that's what Burton's good at though, isn't it? He's good at getting fear and threat in without it being um like an actual R rated horror movie. Well, uh, well the weird thing is that like Batman I'm sure was like a fifteen over here in the UK. And and it's it's weird because I guess it's I'm I guess I'm saying two things at the same time which are both true. Which is one the movie's more brutal than it would be today. But then on the flip side of it um it it's not just about how much violence you can get away with without blood in those movies. It's they're actually quite um intense but in a different way. Mm. But it's like it, the intensity of it is the fact that it's like Burton's gothic bent on everything makes yeah. it intense. And he, he's like intense in a way that something like um, the um, Cabinet of Cagliari is intense. Because mm. that's not especially frightening. Uh, as it is intense. It's intense in the way that Batman the Animated Series is intense, because that's a kid's show. Yeah. Right? And that has got an intensity about it. It's it's this intensity that comes with Batman that Burton manages to tap into and amplify quite well, because he's good at doing the sinister. Like It's like Halloween. His work is just like forever Halloween. Hmm. And he's good at doing the sinister and making the sinister fun. But still, like, you know, keeping it intense and a little bit threatening. But that's what's fun about it. Yeah. And also, and those movies are super horny, especially Batman <laughs> Returns. Of course Batman Returns is. Like, we can't... You can't... It's, it's Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Batman Returns might be the horniest, like, f- family comic book mo- movie ever. Like, superhero <laughs> movie ever. Like... <laughs> And what's nuts is that obviously that was a big blockbuster funded by Warner Brothers in the early 90s. And like, I was yeah. probably thinking like, man, how did Burton get this past them? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got you got to look at like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of points where Catwoman turns up in um, comics and, and in TV series as well, like cartoons and stuff where it actually gets a little bit horny. Hmm. Like there's that famous thing in a uh, famous part in, is it Batman TAS where she's like, I don't know whether to scratch you or kiss you or something like mm. that. And I always thought that was a little bit, a little bit much for a kid's show. And I mean, <laughs> I mean even in the, in the sixties, um, Batman, like yeah. the, the Catwoman actresses, it's always been a sexy, uh, like corny character, but like, it's just funny watching the Batman returns and like everything. There's so much innuendo. Uh, there's so much like, just visual and verbal like heat <laughs> in the movie. It, yeah, it's yeah. pretty remarkable. Yeah. And that costume as well. <laughs> yeah. She had to be sewn into it, didn't she? <laughs> when they I remember I remember hearing that as an anecdote from the set that she had to be sewn into that. Like there was no way to take it on and off. It didn't have like a, a zipper. Yeah, yeah. Which is intense. But yeah. Um Batman Returns and yeah I mean I I love those films they're they're probably like two of my favorite comic book movies of all time because they just they just have like a special place um I might it might just be like you know the rose tinted glasses thing and whatever because 
but they hold up today as we know so yeah um on from there like so what other stuff have i been doing well we've got um oh you watched batman you watched spider-man 2 and 3 didn't you and i'm guessing that's off the back of the new spider-man film uh kind of so what happened earlier in the year and i say that like maybe june-ish or something yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to rewatch the um, the. It started off that I was just going to watch the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Then I was like, no, no. Yeah. Let me extend this and watch the uh, Mark Webb Amazing Spider-Man movies. And I was like, oh, might as well extend it and just watch the um, uh, what the hell's his name again? John whatever. Um, like the Homecoming MCU Spider-Man movies. So I was like, I was getting ready to do this big like. Spider-Man cinematic marathon, but like only live action. Yeah. So obviously, like Spider Verse is my favorite of all of that, and I can watch that a million times. So just just to clarify, when you've written Spider-Man two and three in the doc here, are you talking about? Um. Oh wait, no. There's only two MCU Spider-Man films, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting confused now. Yeah, you must mean the Raimi ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on. I'll just start shuffling down the street in a black shirt, you know, pointing at people and whatever. But, um, so yeah, so I watched, at the time, I watched Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 uh, for the first time in, in, a, in a while, maybe a decade or something like that. And then I, uh, I, 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 couldn't, I didn't have the stomach to do Spider-Man 3 each time I was going to do it. So then, loads, <laughs> then, so there was a big gap in between times and then, uh, like, Last weekend, I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch Spider-Man 3. But, like, as a palate cleanser for me, I was like, but let me top throw in Spider-Man 2, which is my favourite live-action Spider-Man and second favourite Spider-Man movie. So, like, I rewatched that in a space, in quite a short space of time, but, and I, I loved it even more. And, that, I mean, that's a movie that is, like, like with the Batman movies, that's a Nostalgia Glasses movie for me, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because, um... It just works for me on so many levels, and even the levels where it's indicative of the time it was made, like that stuff, still works for me. And it's that scene where they're passing him through the subway car. <laughs> but like, there's so many like just cool things. I really think that all the cast are really good in the movie. I really like um, Molina's Dark Ark, and I think all that stuff comes together. And like, it's one of those movies where. Uh, as you get older, different different elements um, uh, are more resonant to you, and like that movie is really tough on Peter, and I love it. Like it really shows the cost of of being Spider Man on him, and so yeah, rewatching that, I was like, yeah, that movie's still good. So then I put on Spider Man Three, and the thing with Spider Man Three, it's um, simultaneously not as bad as I remember because I haven't seen this movie in the longest time. <laughs> I think I watched it once more after the cinema. I saw it in the cinema twice. Because yeah. uh, uh, back like two days because I had two different plans, and then I watched it again one time at home, and then I haven't, haven't watched it since then, and that was the 2007 movie. Um, so it's the first time. Watch- Obviously, all the memes and blah blah like have been there this whole time, but rewatching it, like it, there's some stuff that like it's still. Like the stuff to do with Peter and MJ is still pretty good like like and like the way how the black suit affects him and stuff obviously it's mega cheesy and jazz but like it kind of fits for what like Raimi would 
would do, especially like knowing the behind the scenes and him not really even wanting Venom. So it's like, I think that that stuff is worth it because of all the silly memes and, and like Bully Parker stuff that we've got. I think it's worth it that that stuff's silly. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, overall the movie didn't, does it, I wanted to, it to be a case where it's like, yeah, people. Time was wrong on this movie, and it's low key a banger. But nah, I, I, there's a lot. I just didn't enjoy watching that movie, even though there's elements in there that I like. So there's elements of yeah. like the Sandman stuff that I like, and uh, like the, some of the trials and tribulations of Peter, because Peter really has a crappy time <laughs> mm. in, in that movie as well, because um, he's an he's an idiot. But like, yeah, overall it doesn't work, and it's especially hurt by the fact that it follows Spider-Man 2 which is just so good I um, I remember being a Spider-Man 3 apologist at the time when I when I first saw it at the cinema and actually enjoying it and, and like being the discourse in the room when people were like oh I didn't like the uh, the dancing stuff and the <laughs> <laughs> the, the Venom suit Spidey stuff. I was just like, yeah, but the, you know, you know, I had I had a whole argument. And I can't remember it now, but uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I I was a I was a black shirt PE apologist. <laughs> you um, were walking down the streets of Leicester, <laughs> pointing at random girls. <laughs> Not quite. Yeah. Hair all slicked down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, I wasn't I wasn't exactly emulating him or saying he was a boss or anything. But I was an apologist for the film, definitely. Um, but like, I remember, I remember liking Spider-Man 2 more, but there's just something about those films where even when you're watching them, even when I was watching them back then, something just felt a little bit like desaturated about them, if that's the best way to put it. And I still feel that now when I think about them now, and when I look back, um, or even if I rewatch them today, I just feel like they're, they're, they're desaturated or inferior somehow and i'm not sure what that is or what they're even inferior to because you can't like yeah in in comparison to what is what i'd ask yeah exactly like you can't you can you can well obviously they're going to be inferior to the the mcu spidey films but like you can't really judge them against the mcu spidey films because they're two different beasts altogether yeah and last thing i don't like to get um bogged down in the argument because like 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 I've said, like uh, uh, Spider Man Two is my is my second favorite live uh, like movie Spider Man thing after Into the Spider Verse. Um, so obviously that includes the the two yeah. uh, Sp- uh, MCU Spider Man movies. But obviously there's elements in those movies that I like more, and elements in Spider Man Two that I like more. And I think like without getting into that thing because it's it's obviously it's a bit discourse and in the run up to uh, No Way Home um, in December. There's lots of discourse with like the Raimi Spider-Man movies versus like the the newer Spider-Man movies and stuff, and it's kind of tiresome. But I think that um, one there, there's different elements that each ones handle better, and like the the MCU movies do a lot that I really like, especially like the high school stuff is just really fun for me Mm. but then on the flip side like spider-man for me is like he's new york superhero he's the friendly neighborhood spider-man and like there's just barely any new york stuff in those first two movies because 
they were under the thing of like we got to make this as different as possible as the last reboot because that was too close to the films before so that's why we have like there's so many spider-man stuff which is just not there like uncle ban um new york web slinging and stuff like that which is like i'm fine for like different interpretations and stuff but like Mm. i'm i'm always gonna be more enriched by a a poor having a hard time peter swinging around new york just trying to make ends meet rather than like tony stark jr um (laughs) Up yeah. in the in the Queen suburbs the whole time, well, or abroad our, in Europe. Yeah, our Spider Man is because that's the Spider Man we grew up reading. Is like our like that's because we we grew up reading Spider Man comics. So our Spider Man is going to be the Raimi Spider Man. Well, the thing is, like, not even hundred yeah. percent because I remember at the time uh, where I, I used to have bigger hang ups with some stuff like that, where like the Raimi Spider Man like. It's close in some ways, but like there's so many things which used to just bug me. Uh, not not bug me, but there were minor things where it's like, if they had, if they had done it a bit more like the comic, and obviously this is old me talking, but if they'd done it a bit more like the comic, it would have been would have been more effective in some ways. Some mm. of the stuff. Um, yeah. So like, um, so very early on with those stuff, it was a case of. Because when these movies are first coming out, it's like, oh my god, these are like the first proper big budget versions of of these people that we've grown up with reading. So, like, the wish is and the hope is it has to be the perfect version. And then being a bit more divorced from that, it's like, I like this take, but it doesn't need to... It it like it can have divergences and blah blah blah, and and I'd be cool with that. And that's how I was with like all the various Batman movies and stuff like that. So it's like, there are elements in there which are just like, uh, I think they only work because it's like Raimi doing his thing or Nolan doing his thing, rather it be like um, representative of of my Spider-Man or my Batman growing up. Yeah, I just like, what what I meant by that is like, you're going to connect with Spider-Man hopping about New York more. And you know, being New York Spider Man and, and being in New York and getting snacks from the bodega and whatever <laughs> as he swings <laughs> past and things like that. He, that's that's Spider Man to us, and that's what Spider and that's why this that's why the Spider Man games work so well. The um, the PS4 games, that's why they work so well for me. Mm. The recent Spider Man PS4 games, but that's just I think I think that's just a symptom of like what you know, and then wanting more of what you know and obviously like i really like the mcu spider-man films because i like that they they bring spider-man and he fits into the larger picture i i think jake gyllenhaal is an excellent villain and like i just i just love all that stuff like i love what they've done with mysterio i i do you know what right there's that particular sequence with mysterio um i think we've talked about this before where he's got Peter under the influence yeah, of his, yeah yeah and he's just like tossing him about but it's like all the illusions and and like um they they just it's just so comic book and I just can't get over how that looks like pages on the screen yeah. and, I love and that, that. that that was the best stuff in that movie for me that, yeah th- that stuff was great yeah but anyway we digress <laughs> spider-man <laughs> two and three um yeah so I mean yeah I I 
I quite like those films, and I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what they do with you know the latest Spider-Man film. Who who's in and who's not? Mm. Um, yeah, it look, obviously. It, 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 like I have two different things for that because it's like it looks cool from the trailer we've seen, and then there's also like what I assume is going to happen just because I it's impossible to avoid all these rumors and stuff. So Spider-Man like, melee. <laughs> so it's like there's things where it's like. I'm just like, uh, if this stuff happens, it will be cool. Yeah. Um, but I'm not getting my hopes up and stuff because yeah. it's, um, it's unproven. And also, there's a fine line to walk where, on one hand, you've got Spider-Verse, yeah. which work, walks it perfectly. And on the other other hand, you've got, like, Ready Player One or, like, Space yeah. Jam 2 and New Legacy, like, where it's done badly. So I'm just, like, I'm just yeah. sitting down, waiting for the movie to come out to enjoy it. Because at the end of the day... Mm. More Spider-Man is always good for me. I might wait for the Craven DLC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, I like. I, I'm just looking at it, and it is. It's like Spider-Man Smash Bros. The way people are talking about it, it's like is this person in, is that person in. They should do the trailer, like a Smash Bros. trailer, like the lizard joins the fight, or <laughs> you know, <laughs> Electro sho- Electro shocks his way into the battlefield. That kind of stuff, just like each one. But yeah, no, it, it it's going to be, I, if there's one thing I want, I want Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if that, yeah. I think that's a, that's a universal thing. No, yeah. Like, less Willem Dafoe has never been a good thing. You always want exactly. more, more Willem yeah. Dafoe. If there's one thing I want in that, from that film, if they're going to be putting in people from other, if they're going to be putting in characters from other Spider-Man films, from other universes, then I want Willem Dafoe. Um, but yeah, so, uh, what if as well? So where we are so far with what if, like, um, I mean, what can we say about the latest episode other than it involves Dr. Strange? It's yeah. It's the best one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what's hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I, this is definitely something that I wouldn't want to spoil going in, but, um, yeah, yeah Do- Dr. Strange centric episode. And I think we're, we're both in agreement that it, it, what we want from a what if TV yeah. show, that episode delivers on it. Yeah, it's the most what ify what if episode of what if. Like it 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 has a theme and it has an idea and it examines the idea and the idea isn't just um like moving different Legos around. Um the yeah. idea is like here's a concept, let's push this concept all the way to its like end and, and um while while also focusing on how how that affects the character and like it's truthful to the characters mm. the whole time while like pushing forth this like ultimate what if idea. And that's like what you got from like the, the comics. And that's what yeah. I want more of the show dealing with where it's exactly it. And like the visuals as well, there's just stuff, which is like really cool comic book looking wild design. So like that type of stuff, I think it, 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 on the emotional level, it hits as well. Like I think it's just, they nailed what we want from from that yeah. type of thing like i think i can't remember if you said it, if you said it on cast or not but there was it almost felt like the, the first three episodes which i like and I, I enjoyed they kind of felt like they were pulling their punches a bit and this mm. one feels like they just t- took the limiters off and just like that's... they let someone tell a story yeah. and they just went all the way i think that's what we were saying last week 
I think we talked last time, last week, two weeks ago. Last time we talked about what if I think it was two weeks ago, and we were saying like a, it's like a little bit like I can't, I can't fully get behind it because it's not doing what I want it to do. But now with this Doctor Strange episode, it, it's knocked it out of the park, and I just hope the rest of them follow suit from this point forward. Yeah, I mean, there's a yeah. deeper conversation to go to which we can, yeah, um, like return to because there's like, like. Uh, there's things that we could be critical on, but I don't even want to say that is because I think it would spoil the episode, Mm. but I think there's um, a a meaty conversation in there and how they've dealt with some of these stories. And even this one that I really like. So hopefully we can do that big uh, Marvel catch up that we've been meaning to do the Marvel TV catch up, the big Marvel TV breakdown. We need to get around to it. But before we can do that, (laughs) We've got some comics to talk about today, and I just want to just um, just basically mention that I downloaded Baldo the Guardian Owls. Um, yeah, so what is that for Nintendo Switch? So, so Baldo the Guardian Owls is it's like a, a Zelda game, but if if it was if Zelda was Studio Ghibli, um, is the easiest way for me to describe it because it's it's got that whole Studio Ghibli aesthetic about it. It, it really does it's like the graphics themselves it's like cell shaded Mm. and it it, it's like a ghibli movie like that's the whole point of it that's what this thing's trying to be i guess it's got that kind of like that vibe about it that the story kind of carries that like the adventure type thing going on um but then at the same time it's a zelda game but then at the same time it's it's like the difficulties cranked up compared to what you would know as a Zelda game or a Zelda-esque game. I mean, it's a Zelda game down to the point that you've got hearts in the top corner denoting your life and you can chuck pots around. So that's how Zelda it is. But it's also harder than your average action RPG Zelda game because it doesn't hold your hand at all. It doesn't really give you any hints whatsoever. You just like... You have to really, really, really be be concentrating and be on it to to get through it, to get through the puzzles and stuff, which is it kind of half the fun with it, really. Mm. Um, and you will see game over an awful lot, but you know it's it's a bit for, it's forgiving in that way, in that it doesn't restart you somewhere silly or something like that. It puts you right back where you died. So if you die in a particular room, when you come back, you'll be back in that room, which is quite useful because <laughs> you die a lot. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's good fun, and uh, I've been enjoying it so far. Um, and I recommend it if you're into your Zelda games and stuff because uh, it's kind of cool. Just beware though that you know it, it doesn't hold your hand at all. So don't don't go into it and like. Obviously, if you you know be beware that you will be getting frustrated with it because <laughs> of how um, like punishing. <laughs> I don't know about punishing. I wouldn't say punishing's the word. It's more that it's just um, very old school in that. You know, like old school, like sprite JRPGs where they don't give you yeah. a lick of like help at all. It's kind of that, that kind of mood and that kind of way about it where you just have to just, just bash your head against a brick wall, basically, till you figure it out because there's no hints or hope that someone figures it out before you and writes a guide. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a it's it's a cool game nonetheless oh and uh 
I just wanted to let you guys know um, that I will be participating in a live stream with uh, the May Marder guys. Um, we're doing a live stream discussing uh, Scales and Scoundrels. So, like, Scales and Scoundrels, we've talked about this on the cast before. It was 12 issues, ran for 12 issues with um, with Image Comics and then just, just disappeared. And we all got very sad, especially me. Uh, because it just kind of just like vanished and I, I couldn't understand why because it's so such good fun such a great fantasy series um it's like it's like hearing about a D game but like a, a really cool interesting D D game <laughs> like um and i just i wanted more of it and i wanted it back and then tk obviously because um sebastian gurner the writer um like he is now the EIC of TKO Presents, TKO Comics. Um, and he's kind of like shifted it over to TKO. Uh, and, and like, um, he's got the, like the, basically he's republished it under TKO in two definitive editions. So we've got two definitive softbacks now or hardbacks, depending on which one you bought or digital. You can get it digitally as well. And um, it's like, pages and pages and pages of extra content on top of that. I think it's like 200 odd extra pages. So not only did they republish it all, but they also added to it and finished it, which is nice. <laughs> so I was very excited about that. I've bought those and I've been reading those. And then up comes this uh, chance to talk about comics with Mayor Marder. Um, and uh, they were like, oh, we're doing the uh, the Story Club live stream. Do you want to do join on the Story Club live stream? To which I said, Yes. Um, and we're going to be discussing Scales and Scoundrels, and it'll be real fun. Um, so that will be 7pm Greenwich Mean Time, GMT, on the 16th of September. So add it to your calendar, and um, join us, ask us questions about the book in the chat. If you're going to read the book yourself, maybe maybe read the book yourself as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a book club, but for comics, basically. Like a live-streamed book club for comics, which will be quite fun, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, um, we're getting to talk scales and scoundrels, which I'm always happy about. And, and um, love the guys over there. Yeah, May Marder guys are great as well. Yeah, Nigel and Tazzy are fantastic. Uh, great fun to have them on the cast as well. So um, maybe we're going to get them back to do something with them again as well. Um, I haven't quite worked it out yet, um, but yeah, definitely have to have them on the show again. Um, so yeah, we've done. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the roundup of everything that happened in the last two weeks. Um, and I think we can now move on to our comics reviews. So we're going to open this up with a book, another one that we've been sent for preview, um, which is a book called Jinx Freeze. Um, now, this is published by Avery Hill, and uh, it is by a Lord Herc who... Um, is a self-professed, um, what does he call himself? Let me find this, because uh, this is fun, this is. Um, but yeah, so this is like this This is meandering, um, surreal crime story is the best way for me to describe this book. So yeah, so Lord Herc, he, he calls himself on Twitter a qualified comic smith, and I, I, think, uh, I, I think that's pretty apt, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> considering his output, especially with this. 
So yeah, I mean, this is um, this is on. It's a preview at the moment, uh, and you can uh, pre-order it through the Avery Hill website. Obviously, links in the um, uh, show notes. Uh, it will be in shops October seventh. And that's uh, in the UK, October 12th in the US. So that's when they're set for release, October 7th and 12th. Um, £12.99 UK, $16.95 US. So, um, yeah. But anyway, the actual comic itself. Um, it's like, it's avant-garde, it's abstract, it's eclectic. It's surreal. It's almost like you're flicking through channels really late at night or like 3 a.m. or something after a night out catching snippets of like all the weird crap and reruns that they show on television at that time of night. And that's that's the best way I can describe the mood of reading through this comic. And, and when we start, before we started recording, Leon came and he's like, oh, I feel a bit fuzzy today. And I'm like, is that because you read... Jinx Freeze in one sitting, and he said, "Yeah, probably." <laughs> so <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, it, it it has that effect on you. It has that effect, um, and yeah, it does. It it's it reminds me of when I was completely drunk once in the early hours of the morning, and there was like this show about like messed up infomercials, public information broadcasts, and things like you know, like about what to do in a nuclear attack and things like yeah. that. Like really old British, like infomercial stuff and like you know like those ones where you see kids try to get a kite back and get electrocuted and like oh yeah yeah the, yeah um, the things that you laugh at that you shouldn't laugh at. the public safety ones which are so yeah. over the top and brutal yeah, yeah all that stuff yeah so it was like a show about those it was like the top 10 most fucked up infomercials or something ridiculous like that public safety broadcasts or something um and then there was like on another channel it was like das experiment or something like that was being shown, like the film. And, you, you know, Das Experiment, the prison thing, mm. where they, yeah. So they had like, um, it's like that German film. Is it? I think it's a German film anyway, where they have like the, um, it's based on a true, a true thing they did, which was an experiment where they had like so many people as guards and so many people as prisoners. And it was like a social experiment. Um, and the guards just get worse and worse as time goes on because they've got the power and everything else. Um, but yeah, it was like, I so saw I'm switching between that and these weird infomercials. And obviously because the infomercial things are clip show anyway. Um, and it's like, as you switch between the channels and as you're drifting in and out because you're drunk and you're sleepy and as the smell of pizza hits your nose... Because you've got your like your midnight drunk pizza, um, you just get something completely different. <laughs> you just it, it because your dreams are adding to it as well, and you just get this like really weird experience. Um, that's just completely different in tone than than either thing on its own, and I, I think, like, it's jarring in a fun way, just like this, this, just this heady stew of stimuli. Um, and I think, I think that's the best way I can describe Jinx Freeze, um, as a book and as what Jinx Freeze is. So Jinx Freeze on, on the, the kind of, on the surface, it is a crime story. It's a story about a heist. Um, but it's a story about a heist that meanders and, and does really avant-garde, abstract, eclectic stuff. Um, 
and um, it's a story about a heist that is kind of it reminds me of Brazil, the film Brazil, <laughs> in in that way in how weird it is. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I yeah, that's that's where I am at with it. I mean, Leon, you got anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, like I think one of the major strengths of the book is that at first it feels like an anthology and it kind of is in some ways where you're getting getting snippets of different parts of uh, Riviera as part of this like heist and you're being introduced to recurring characters and recurring locations but each time every couple of pages are being slapped in the face with like a new title and um, the use of like the colour palette has changed or like the um just the style of of panelling and book that it is um, will change depending on the theming and depending on what the setup is of each like anthology type story. But um, each of it like drills down and gets you deeper and deeper into this this. I was going to say Odyssey, but like it's the reader who's going on an Odyssey, not characters in the book. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're drawn into this world. And like you said, I think it was really apt when you say like info, infomercials. Cause I almost got the feel of like every time I was changing the page and then uh, had a new um, like title it was there should have been static in between and it was like yeah me. like you're changing channel dead yeah quick. on an yeah. analog tv yeah yeah so you, you have that feel where it's like you're just snapped to a different part but then mm. like i said you're being introduced to characters like uh marge at large and <laughs> uh, and all types of uh manner of uh like weirdness which is such a broad term craziness which is also a worse broad term but all types of mind melding uh things that are going on but it's like a sketch show isn't it yeah like it gives yeah. me feel it gives me feelings yeah of like uh, a sketch show where like um which has like often has recurring like characters and stuff like that but it's like once that sketch is done you're into the next thing but the theming around the whole thing uh like gives it a level of like interconnected um ness to yeah. uh complete a, a non-existent word but like each of it like it's so easy to be like oh it feels random and but it's not really like despite like it being so i'm quite... going to interrupt you there so i've got a bingo card in front of me with all the words that i thought we were going to use to describe this and i've just checked random off <laughs> but like <laughs> the words um, i didn't want to use but yeah <laughs> yeah but but i did use it in a way because it's not yeah random. yeah you but, did um, you did yeah but like um there's very much like a, a an intentional sort of pull like pull you in even even if you are dealing with quite off off the wall scenarios which can like come and go and, and some of them you're like, huh? And then you're like, okay. <laughs> uh, and some of them you, you do leave like, huh? And you just, maybe uh, when I uh, revisit at some point, I'll yeah. be like, okay. And but then it's like, be- 
it's like hurt and then you when you get to the end of the book and you have a galaxy brain moment yeah and like there's ones where a character recur and you're like oh i can feel like this building or like i'm getting used to what the uh setup is for like this character's involvement in 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 this story and uh, i guess like you said i think you nailed it with like the sketch thing where like oftentimes with sketch shows it's cause of catchphrases that like catch on to people or like a repeated behavior which catches on to people and with this a lot of time it's uh, the style or the irreverentness of it like that's mm. the thing that grabs you in and it's definitely a thing where i think like it's just not going to work for everyone like i don't this this book is not going to work for everyone um because i think it 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 asks uh, a little bit for, from the reader like you've got to you've got to like you got to let it you got to submerge yourself into it really and you've got to meet the comic where it is and meet what it's doing and like some some of the individual stories might not fully work for you or like it might feel like uh, an idea which doesn't really connect with your yeah. sense of humor or, or whatever but then the next one easily could do yeah. and even if that was not the case what generally happens is that you get a lot of sly satire and sly um, sort of society mirrors, but not done in a preachy way, which is quite funny. And like, yeah. you get a lot of like when they're referring to someone and they'll do, you'll use like a, a silly version of their name, like mm. <laughs> to get around copyright or whatever, but like it, it's handled really well because you get the, you've already got the buy-in because you know what they're referencing, but they're able to play with it in um, quite like, incisive ways. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it it is... It, it's, it's a wild ride, and I think that if you're willing to go on a wild ride and you want to be just taken uh, on, like, an adventure and if you're re- ready to be like just be in and out and you got, like let go of yeah. an idea as 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 that as that comic uh, as that story it, ends you just got yeah. i think you should just like strap in and and, and go for the ride mm. what you need to do is you need to give this book a saturday afternoon hmm. you need to you need to get this book and you need to sit down in your living room you need to get your blender you need to put the ice in the blender you need to put the malibu in the blender and you need to put your pineapple juice in there as well and you need to drink blender ice Malibu pineapple concoctions because <laughs> I don't think there's a real name for that. Um, and then you need to uh, you need to put some Mr. Bungle on in the background. <laughs> um, and you need to just kind of just let this book just wash over you while you're drinking and listening to Mr. Bungle because I think it's probably the best way to experience it. And, and this that's is not thing, what like, I did, but that's what I wish I did. <laughs> and I probably will do that again. Yeah, it sounds like what you did. But like, um, <laughs> like I, I read this today and I, I almost wish I'd read it a week ago because I feel like I, I, it's, I, I've put a lot in my brain, but I haven't digested it all beyond what I've said so far. So I'll, it might be something that I might have... Um, yeah. Uh, 
further thoughts on next next episode. So um, yeah, yeah, watch this space. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read the blurb, and then I'm gonna go into my little diatribe. <laughs> so um, crime has descended on the normally tranquil Riviera. A solid gold sculpture on loan from the Gurgelheim Museum has been stolen, and the local police force are well out of their depth. They need they need help, and they need it fast. But local henshin hero, King Giant Head Fighter Policeman OX, is lost in a waking reverie of lucid dreams, and his potential replacements like modern Tarzan and Danny Kildare, the space priest, aren't very much better. And why are people going into the great exhibition of 11851, the pop-up selfie experience in the middle of town, but not coming out again? Fortunately, Marge Margiori has picked up on the trail and has a plan to catch the villains and save the day. If only she can clear her name for a crime she didn't commit. Told through the twisted creative lens of Herc in his long-awaited full-length technical debut, Jinx Freeze is a high story unlike any you've read before. So yeah, I mean... Uh, that's that's kind of a taster of what's going on here and that doesn't even scratch the surface so you really do need to pick this book up but like I really do like the abstract art style here and the sort of like the, the presentation of the abstract presentation lends itself well to like like Leon mentioned just then the the or like you mentioned Leon the acerbic witty content and, and like the kind of like twisted wondering narrative that this has it brings to mind things like Brazil like I was saying before um like it's it's like while being acerbic and subversive in places as well, it also manages to be self-aware and, and pontificate on the purpose and the meaning of art itself. Cause that's kind of like a bigger through thread that I got. And like and, and, and also on different kinds of expression, like um poetry, like dreams. Um and it's it's very, very humorous in places. Like com- it comments on society and it espouses punk values while also stabbing at its meaningless and the elitist, like, nature of, of that kind of thinking. Like, um, so sometimes with, with, uh, with people that, you know, like, there's this whole thing where it's like, punk is supposed to be for everyone. And, and, and punk is supposed to be something that anyone can subscribe to and be. And, 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 and it, punk is just, is just the rejection of society's, um rules and and whatever right in 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 a sense that's like on the very surface that's what it is it's just a rejection of societal norms um and and behave it you know being nihilistic and and everything else but like there's also an elitism that comes with it so i'm more punk than you kind of thing you get gatekeepers like you do with everything um and this kind of like this has that about it where it's like it, it does it espouses punk values but then at the same time it's like a, it's punk it's a punk piece of art in in places and in ways but at the same time it's it's also st- like stabbing at that kind of like elitist closed off um i don't know what to call it but you you understand what i'm trying to get at um it's stabbing at the meanest meaninglessness of, of it and the elitistness that comes with that sometimes um and like there's this whole thing like this this whole thing about heroes being replaced and waking dreams and and about art and its place in the world and about about it, it kind of pontificates on that a little bit as well it has this interesting format uh, which we were discussing before of stitched together from a stew of single page comics that are just like one page then next thing one page then next thing some of them are single page some of them actually run for a couple of pages um but 
it's like one story composed of many stories, like many threads. It's like it's like if you tried to weave a plate of spaghetti and you were successful in doing that. Um and it just it just has so much going on and like so much to say as well like when you when you read it and when you go back over certain parts of it um it 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 actually has a lot of opinions and a lot of things to say about various things inside like ver- the way we treat mental health the way we treat um other parts of society and like consumerism and capitalism and um social media and it just it kind of it, it really does flail and like manage to like catch everything with at least a grazing punch it really does it's it's good at that um it's lurid it's weird it's extremely abstract <laughs> In, in its character design as well um and yeah it just it just all comes together beautifully in this this wonderful kind of like it i guess you know like when i've talked about um anthology comics before i talk about how the reader inhabits a liminal space and then we are given a set of doors and we get to choose which door we go through to experience which part of the anthology we can do it in a set order we can do it in whatever order we like we can flick right to page 50 and start reading part of the story that we want to read at page 50 because this is an anthology and it's all separate pieces but this is like an anthology where everything's linked and it's all in one it's it's an anthology that's not an anthology and in a way that Instead of, us, instead of us inhabiting the liminal space, what we're doing as the reader is we're walking through one door into one dimension and then we're having like two seconds in that dimension and then going, oh wait, what's through that door? And then going through another door and then through that door, we might get the choice. We might just, we might go through an archway or, or through a hole in the ground into another bit. And it's just, it's, you're going on a journey through various places instead of being, um, instead of being presented with a hall of doors and, you know, being asked to choose a door, it's like, it's, there is no liminal space. You don't get to go back to the liminal space. You just, you are just constantly in like transferred from, from spot to spot to spot to spot, which is, which is kind of cool about it. Hmm. And yeah, there's a page in it about comics podcasts, which uh, I I thought was particularly genius. (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah it just has this whole thing like dreams memories are like our memories reliable as we'd like to think um it's full of character it's really innovative has a really innovative use of page space and often this single page fractured format this often single page fractured format that the whole book has is actually very very good and very fun to read through and it's it like i said it's something where you can you need to spend an afternoon with it and you need to just give it time to breathe because it's it's that kind of book it's just yeah oozing with beautiful design work like the lettering the titles of the pages um i just i ended up fully immersed in it and it was just it was just such a lot of fun for me this book so yeah i i um I fully recommend that you you go if if this sounds like your thing because obviously like it's not going to be for everyone because it's going to be like like Leon said it demands a lot from the reader who's in the demands a lot from you interacting with it sometimes um but like I said if you just want to immerse yourself in something strange for a while and um 
then d- just just you know have that Saturday afternoon drinking your your poison of choice, listening to um, I recommend Mr. Bungle because it's like weird jazzy stuff and it's it's like it's it's kind of cool, um, but obviously you know your your music of choice um, and just 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 have at it because you will enjoy it. Um, and yeah, that is uh, Jinx Freeze by Lord Herc. Um, so you can check that out over at uh, Avery Hill Publishing. And um, we're going to have a link to the specific page where you can pre-order the book in the show notes. And yeah, I, I thought it was great. <laughs> um, moving on from there, uh, what was next on this? We've got a couple of TKO books now. So... These are the TKO shorts. So um, TKO have doing, been doing this thing where they've been putting out these this series of shorts. And these are um, numbers seven and eight in the series. So I've talked a little bit about these before, but I've never done like a deep review of one, I don't think. Um, so we're going to talk about shorts seven and eight now. And uh, we're going to start with seven. We're going to do this chronologically. And we're going to start with Rivers of River of Sin. Um, so River of Sin, um, this is a story about a bruja, um, and, uh, which is a, a, a bruja is basically, it's just Latin American for witch, right? Um, it's just the term they use for witch, it's Spanish for witch, um, and it's just the term used across Latin America for witch. Um, and, um... Uh, Brujera, which is the, um, or Brujeria, which is the, what, what, the, the, the sort of like beliefs and practices of the Bruja, which, which is basically, which translates witchcraft, um, I guess, is a kind of mix of indigenous religion, Catholic Christianity, and other forms of witchcraft. And it's one of, it's, it's not, it's not a single thing, which is something that, um, a lot of people would, uh, make the mistake of believing because it's actually uh, a uh, uh, um, is actually like a catch-all term for uh, several different sets of beliefs and practices. We're talking voodoo, um, santeria, uh, candomblé, uh, and umbanda. Like all of these things that that are like, or, or even palo. Like all of these things that are like um, th- uh, it, spiritual practices that emerged across Latin America and, you know, South America and places like that and um, emerged because of the influence of the slave trade and um, Christian colonizers, etc. And then also you've got the, you've got what was already there, the, 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 the native influence, native beliefs and practices. And it just kind of all comes together in this stew pot and you get these, um, these, these different belief systems and, um, and practices coming out of that, which is quite cool actually. And, and the other thing about it to remember is that not all of it is, is malevolent. Like it's, it's actually like one of those things where it's like, it, there is, you know, it ranges from benevolent to malevolent. Like it, you know, you can put curses on people, people use it for healing people. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So, but yeah, like Bruja is just a, a, a catch-all term for witch and uh, Brujeria is a catch-all term for all of these practices and beliefs, I, I assume. But yes. Um, so with this one, I'm just going to read you the blurb. 
Um, children are being found dead and mutilated in the woods. Alonzo fears this might be the fate of his daughter. In a desperate hunt for answers, he and other grieving parents must take matters into their own hands. Could it be the suspected Bruja, hungry for young blood, or is there a bigger secret among the townsfolk? Um, so this is uh, River of Sin by Kelly Williams and Chaz Pangburn. Um, Kelly Williams is your writer and artist, and Chaz Pangburn is your letterer. Now, before I get deep into um, opinions on the art and everything else, Leon, what do you make of this, first of all? I thought it was a nice, tight, short story. I think that um, it had a really good setup. It managed to economically world build and set up the stakes. And then as you're going through it, and you're being given snippets of this larger world, and I think the quote-unquote twist or what, uh, whatever like that uh, works pretty well and it it has one of those good sort of not circular but like the not Twilight Zone-ish because it's not really yeah I guess because you do semi have like a moral type thing but it, it's a lot more subtle than that and it's more mm. a, a more case of like um reaping and sowing and I think that um it it does all that but also like feeding in various different uh societal things that are quite relevant but like all of it is quite naturalistic in how it deals with this like all all the conversations between the parents it there's a general sense of like fear and unknowing but also like a a general mix of like hope and hopelessness but really is so much fog and mystery with what's happened nobody knows what to believe and nobody wants to believe the wildest but like they need to have a, a boogie monster they need to have someone to blame like that there needs to be someone needs to pay the price they need to get to the bottom of it and i like how that is dealt with and built up and then um how that advances once we get later into the story so like um yeah from a story standpoint it all really worked for me um i like the look of the book all the foresty stuff has a lot of these great uh like foresty tones in there and just like the designing on all the characters, it it really because we don't have a lot of time. I think they do manage to get a lot of character ticks and character personalities out on the on the page, even if it's not all fully like verbalized. Um, and I, I really like how it's like a community thing because it's uh, like uh, a community of like mostly like his Hispanic uh people who are look who are on this hunt for their, their kids and there's like overlaps in what they believe and, and not believe and how they're willing to go about it and um anything still quite sore because this is all like super recent and I like how uh when when we get to uh where like quote unquote the witch lives 
the uh, the sky is all has this like fuchsia to like navy uh, I was looking for the word of like gradient <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I guess it's kind of gradient but it's it's yeah. a bit it's a bit more like mixed and subtle than that but yeah and and it looks so good and it's so foreboding but I think it it's it it does well to play into what you might think is going to uh, is going to happen and like subvert that in in an interesting way. Mm. Yeah, I mean I I really love these one shots in these shorts. I like that they're a little faster and you know like it's a fully concluded short story and it's very satisfying. Um and I think that's one of the main strengths of the TKO shorts model. Like I really love that and I like that you know it's it's one thing and you, you don't have to, you're not, you, there's no commitment there with it other than the fact that it's a great little story that's 20 pages long. Um, and that's good sometimes. That's what you want. And um, yeah, I this one particularly I love is I love this this moody art with like this watercolor-like quality. And this it's like so dark and full of atmosphere. And those forest scenes, like you were saying, are really, really do do the trick. Like the way that they... Um, the way that Kelly does that with the with the forest that gets gets in these um, like dense, just this feeling of dense trees, and just being lost in the thick forest, and like the dense woodland that you can see there, and the, the like the uh, the detritus on the ground, like all the leaves um, and like various shrubs and things like that, and it just it just looks so spot on, and it can't you can't you can feel it through the page, you can feel it through the panels. And like, I, I especially love my favorite page. One of my favorite pages in this is the opening page. Um, I really like the black and white, um, you know, like as these, 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 uh, this group of people are telling stories amongst themselves. Um, you know, I heard this, I heard that style. Like, yeah. I heard she eats kids. I heard she does this. I heard she turns to an owl, that kind of thing. But like, I really love like the, um, that page. And I like how it's presented in black and white. And I like how, um, really does have this atmospheric edge and there really is some great panels there and it really does set the tone for the rest of the book and i think that page is key in getting you invested enough that the twist is actually a twist um later on in the book Mm. and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go further than that and talk more about that than that because you need to experience that for yourself but um it's moody art with great watercolor like quality. It's I love good horror stories. I mean, we love good horror stories here at, at AC. And if you're listening, then hopefully you do too. Um, like the double bluff in this one is, is great. Like it pulls this great double bluff. It's, it's we're already plunged into this kind of like this dark world. Things are definitely not what they seem here. Um, it kind of does have that old fairy tale fable vibe, but it's modernized to a degree and. Um, We've got like this whole kind of like through line about the power of rumors and prejudice born from a lack of understanding and someone using that to their advantage, I guess. Um, and it is kind of like a crime tale meets the occult and it's got like this kind of like legend myth folk tale type thing going on. Um, like it, it's a it's a thriller with a supernatural bent. I guess it's expressive cartoon. It has expressive stock cartoon styling, which adds 
like a misshapen edge to the atmosphere as well. Combined with the watercolours, it really does come together to evoke fear and dread. Like it has that, it has that perfect seasoning, like in the way that the art comes together with like, it's kind of, um, it's the stylings of the, the, the character design and then the, the backgrounds and the colors that on top of that, it just kind of ha- comes together and it has that, like that perfect seasoning. <laughs> if I could like, like if you were to go into a supermarket and you were to look for a, um, like dread seasoning for your food, for your chicken or whatever, then, you know, this is your dread seasoning. Uh, it really does draw you in and like, got all these things going on in this little border town, these like grimy back alley dealings and things. And it's just, it's just so good. Um, the, the last page is fantastic as well. It's just, uh, I can't, I can't talk too much about it because it just reveals the whole story. If I tell you what's going on in the back page, but there's fire and it's beautiful. Great um, use of, uh, coloring and, uh, yeah. like, uh, lettering as well. Yeah. It's it's just like it's it's the lettering's fantastic, the 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 colouring's fantastic, the whole thing you can just hear it happening. It's just so visceral that page. I love it. And there's another page with some really great lettering as well. There's a point where we've got a character um sort of like running off back into the woods and uh he's exclaiming to himself, shit, 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 shit. But the way that it's been lettered is really cool because it's like um because he's saying it so many times and so fast, it doesn't fit quite into the speech bubble, and it's kind of like cut off at the edges and stuff. Well, like it's kind of like the layer behind the image is just yeah. like rows and rows and rows of the word shit, and then the speech bubble is cutting a hole in the art to, to reveal that to us. And there's no spacing there, and it's yeah. like it's almost like we're getting a window into the dude's head. <laughs> Yeah. Which I kind of I kind of like. I really like that technique. I think that's great at getting that that across because we've all been in that panicked state, and we've all well we, we've all felt panic for one reason or another, and we've all gone to ourselves, oh shit, 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 or whatever. Be it because you're late for work or whatever else, you know. And it just kind of like it really does tap into that panic when you when you see it lettered like that. It works very well. Um, and yeah, someone always comes to collect. <laughs> that's. That's what I want to say about that. And yeah, um, I just, I just loved everything about it. Yeah. I mean, you got anything to add to that, Leon? Uh, I mean, just broadly, and I'll speak about this more when you read the second one, but I do like, there's like a, an ephemeral feel with these type of short stories. Um, but like, they have a lasting impression. You're in, you're out. But like elements of them stick with you because the the concepts are, uh, are pretty like firm and um, they worm their way into your brain. Yeah, totally, definitely. Um, and it, it is one of those things where I could think about it afterwards and like really get into it. Um, like and come back to it again and read it again and read it again and it's like we're getting like a short again it's like something where I want them to collect all these shorts together in in one um, collection I'd love them in a big old hardback 
all collected together. How cool would that be? Um, yeah, I think that'd the, be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely like an omnibus type thing. But on to the next one, which is Roof Stompers, which is number eight. Um, and this is these are all available on Comicsology, by the way. And um, you can buy them physical through the TKO website. Uh, but like. Again, it's that it's that postage thing if you live in the UK. But if you live in the US and you live somewhere where the postage is reasonable, buy them physical. Because they're great. They're great comics. Um, and they'd be a nice thing to just have. like zine. They're like zine style printed. And they'd be a really cool thing to have. Um, and I think if I, if I could buy them physical, I would. But I think it's the postage that kills it for me at the moment. Mm. Like I've said before, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> so... I've had to buy them digital, sadly, but yeah, um, I didn't really want to, but that's where I am with that. And I just, um, I just wish I could have had them physical, uh, but Roof Stompers, which is, uh, written by Alex Packnadel, uh, art is by Ian McEwen and, um, it is lettered by Hassan Otsman Elhal. Um, so the first thing about this moving into this next one is that it's hand lettered. And it, the hand lettering really does add this kind of like extra layer of warmth and analog feel to what's going on in this book art wise. I think the hand lettering is like a thousand percent something that obviously it's, it's, you know, I, I think, I think it's a thousand percent something I'd love to see more of in more books because hand lettering is just, uh. Anyways, uh, so this is like a time travel nightmare. Um, it, it follows nightmare logic in that things progress in a way that they would progress if you were having a particularly cheese-fueled dream. <laughs> um, and it's like this strange fleeting dream state, but on page. Um, it's... It's like A plus horror with some some of the most gorgeous art I think I've ever laid eyes on um, in a comic book. And uh, I will just read you the blurb. So blurb for this one. This is for Roof Stompers. So far away from the pressures of being a surgeon in New York City, Cassie decides to take a solo hunting trip to Wyoming. There she's attacked and luckily rescued by a middle-aged couple living in an isolated cabin with their son. After weeks, she isn't getting any better and begins to question the couple's motives and the strange nightly visits that they dismiss as the roof stompers. So, yeah. Man, is that the blurb? Damn. Yep. <laughs> kind of happy I, I went in blurbless with these. Yeah, that kind of gives a bit too much away, really, doesn't it? But, yeah, I, I went in completely cold blurbless on this one. I didn't read the blurb. But then, like, obviously... You know, I wish I, I might even, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't retroactively tell you to ignore that part of the cast, can I? But yeah, um, I would say go into this um, as, and, you know, try and forget what I've just said before you read it. Because <laughs> that does give a little bit away. Um, but yeah, it's, it's some of the most gorgeous comic art I've ever laid eyes on. It's like full of movement and meticulous detail and it's really hypnotic it's like something super hypnotic about all those lines on the page and all the hatching like i find myself looking at it and i find my face getting closer and closer to it as i'm looking at it 
Mm. Um, because I'm just getting drawn in by all the detail. Yeah. Um, and it's just 19 pages of pure joy, really, isn't it? And it's just weird twist after weird twist. Um, yeah, so, uh, Leon, where are you at this one? Yeah, like, I had a great time with this one. But it is, like, it becomes dizzying at, at, at points, especially, like, with, like, how time is employed. Uh, where I was like, um, huh, weeks? But, like, um, yeah, it's, it's got a great setup. Um, and then a really, like, the what you think is a reveal um, isn't, like, dun-dun, and this is the story. That's the reveal. Uh, um, instead it deals with that a bit more and and takes you sucks you down deeper into like the implications of of what this what this thing is and and I that if mentioning like the twilight zone thing before this one has more of that feel but it's way looser and way um uh like blurry but like all in a good way and like as you mentioned, like the like the detailed art, like the hatchings, like the location being like sort of this wooded, foresty, middle of nowhere cabin house type thing, it works so well because it, it does feel just um, like you're nested in the middle of nowhere, and there's like really cool pages like where we see like a cross section and we see can see all the roots of of like a tree. And there's almost like a semi-rainbow effect um, showing like the passing of time in a in a really like I guess economical to use the word again like it it it, it, yeah. it gets a lot across just in a in a really seemingly straightforward artistic choice and I really like that and I really um, I really like that page that's what we call a super panel right. Because there's no there's no gutters, but we're still getting a passage of time and things changing. Hmm. And it's like, I perceive that as wind blowing across the page, hmm. which I thought was a really cool trick because like I was looking at it and it's, it's a trick in the lines in the page that separate the different periods of time in the way that the lines are um, kind of uh, fuzzed for want of a better word. Yeah. But like, I just, I feel it's like wind blowing and they're arced as well towards the edge of the other, the other edge of the page as you read across, which is kind of like directing your eye over. And it's like wind blowing across the page and things changing. And also like moving leaves across the page as well. Like I, I, um, I really, really loved that page. Really loved that page. But yeah, like you were saying about the roots. Yeah. And like, uh, there's, there's a general, sort of staticky fuzziness we have on like a sort of page that is dedicated to a flashback uh, as we're learning more about uh, this scenario. But as we go through, I do like how that's employed elsewhere on certain backgrounds as uh, the sort of connection to what this protagonist thinks is happening and, and what is actually happening. There is this this reality disconnect in some ways as things become less tangible. And, um, yeah, I think that that in some ways, part of it kind of reminds me of one of the, uh, uh, 
Tommy A stories that we um, read uh, for the, our uh, one of our I guess it yeah. was the full Tommy A episode that we did. But um, yeah. yeah, part of part of that, I uh, one of the stories in there, uh, I was reminded a lot of that, and um, I really respect how the the story just deals with really high concept stuff and it's like this is a thing and and this is a thing and there are things that we are generally like we have a general understanding of them because they're in a lot of fiction but i like how they're just dropped here and they don't really need to worry too much with like deep deep lore to um unnecessarily hyper explain everything instead it's just so I did X and I used X to do Y. And I kind of like that because it's just, you get more to the point and more to the theme of uh, of what's yeah. happening here. But it's a short story as well. And mm. it's a single issue and it's 19 pages. And that is like super economical and also works really well because it, it it's one of those things where like, it doesn't leave you wanting more explanation either. Even if it doesn't go as go go deep, it it because it can't go deep because it doesn't have the space to go deep. It doesn't have to go deep either, but it doesn't leave you wanting more either. It's it's like enough, isn't it? Strangely, through the lens of this story, like what it gives you is enough. Yeah, and like yeah. even when it gets to its most dizzying, and you're trying to make connections between time and location and some of the other uh, fantastical implications of it. I think that you're anchored on the general story and how it relates to this character that we've been following and we're experiencing time and these locations with this character and we're we're getting the reveals at the same time as this character and and that's why I think it works so well and um, a lot of good sort of speculative fiction short stories do the thing that you said where they introduce you to a world. Uh, um, they present a lot of questions. They answer some of them, but they leave some for you to to cook in your brain. And like the story, the end isn't everything in that story being resolved, but it's more that the main character or the moral or what whatever has moved to a different stage. And mm. this follows in that in that tradition where you're left wanting more. But only in a, not like I want to see more of this world particularly, but more like I had a really good time reading this. But it doesn't have you wanting to like Google theories and stuff like that. Like it's nice and tight and quite confident in itself. Yeah, which it has to be for the format. And I, I love that about it, that it manages to nail that so well. And like, um, there's it's really ambitious actually for the format isn't it Mm. it's a really it's a really ambitious type of story to try and tell within the amount of time that you're given to tell it i.e 19 pages and that's the thing is yeah i I think there is a possibility that some people might get lost with it but um as far as i was concerned it, it 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 really it really worked with what it was setting up and it really was effective in up in the stakes and uh, pulling the curtain 
back further and further. Um, like it, 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 as a beginning to end story for me, it rarely worked, but I could see how in some cases this type of story doesn't always work for people. Mm. Like I, I want to like, what I meant to say is that it's, it's ambitious, but it pulls it off. Mm. And I think it's in other story, it's more, um, definitely more ambitious and better at doing what it does than other stories in the same vein. And I think it's a really good example of, uh, of, of a really good example of a story of this genre. And I, I really, really enjoy it. And there's some really, really, really fantastic pages in it. And there's one particular, like you were talking about the page with the passage of time, with the wind blowing, but there's another page that I couldn't get over. And it, it's what I call the explanation page. Um, and just the art on there is just absolutely breathtaking. It's beautiful. Like, I mean, you can, this page has been knocking about on Twitter for a while anyway. Um, because they were using this page to tease this book, hmm. I think, uh, in some of the promo stuff, promo tweets and things. But like, it is, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous page with like a contraption at the center and then like cables and wires, um, things going on in other panels are set over the, the, the middle pat the super panel as i'll call it um not sure it really is a super panel this time though um and then like because uh, there's no passion time but then like you've got like all the, the hatching and everything else and and it's like everything is made up of individual lines there's no um there's nothing there's no there's very few holding lines on there it's like everything is just like individual hatching individual lines uh, it's all texture in places. Like, it's all texture. And I think that's what, what's beautiful about it and what draws me in is the fact that you've got these pa- pages and parts of panels that are all texture. And I think it's a great way of highlighting certain things about the image that you want to draw the reader's eye to um, and and letting other things sink into the background without them being completely invisible or or too sparse or too um the word what's the word i'm looking for without them sinking into the background too far and being too spectral i suppose is what i want to say because sometimes you can get it where it's like um and it's a, it's a really interesting device when it's used correctly where you've got a lot of negative space but i think this is this is like that 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 kind of like sweet spot, that missing link between having too much negative space and also showing that there is something in the background. Hmm. It's like, it do, it kind of like meets, meets it in the middle there somewhere. Um, and it's also interesting in the way that this is used to, to, to do shadow and everything else. Like this art in this, it's just, just a breathtaking book and the colors as well. Like I can't get over like all these different, like, strange sunset tones that we get and 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 we get treated to and then like um i mean it's no wonder they put some some of the the sort of like uncolored unlettered art at the back just like the line work like there's pages of line work um pages of inks at the back of the book that you can just kind of like stare at for hours because the book is so beautiful um and it is just a great story in the way it concludes and the way it, the way it does, you know, the reveal and everything else. So it's just the way it does depict the, the passage of time and, and how some of it's simultaneous 
at all at once, but then at the same time, the passage of time is there. And it is just, yeah, it's just something else entirely. Um, it is, yeah, it's it's a really beautifully composed comic. Sorry, I'm just like looking at it and trying to like collect my final thoughts on it. But I'm just like, yeah, well, this is one of the best things to come out of TKO to date, I think, and, and uh, as far as the shorts go. And I think, yeah, probably even as far as like most of the stuff I've read from TKO, I think this is one of the 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 best the best things i've read to come out of tko and that's not that's saying something because everything i've read from tko has been absolutely top notch so uh yeah definitely smashed it out of the park with this one um and that is roof stompers by alex packnadel ian McEwen, and uh, hassan otsman hello um and yeah you can you can pick that up now um go look for it and that has been Ace Comicals episode 118 because we are now out of comics. Um, so yeah, that's been Ace Comicals episode 118. You can find us uh, com, which is the hub for everything we do. We are available everywhere. Podcasts are available. Um, Spotify, wherever you like. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, and you can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. Uh, interact with us on Twitter, DM us, at us, talk to us about the stuff we've been talking about, please. Um, the whole reason we set this up is because we wanted to talk about comics, so... It's true. Let us do that. <laughs> uh, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Leon Everett. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that has been Ace Comicals, over and out.